Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. And I am so excited to do this podcast today. As most of you know, I'm excited about every single podcast we do. Uh, No way. I know, I know. (laughs) But uh, I'm really excited about this one because setting the framework up where we talk about how to find deals to buy and develop. This goes into everything before you get into underwriting. This goes into understanding how the revenue drivers work. And I think people get lost in it. I think people don't understand when you're looking at a, to find a storage deal, when you're looking to develop um, storage. And after you've done it for a long time, things become very second nature and you can kind of simplify things down. And I had a call with one of our listeners today. It was this morning. And he was like, I'm kind of overwhelmed. <laughs> and yeah. so it's a lot to take in. Uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I, I see all these facilities everywhere and I don't really know where to start. And so one of the things I want to do, especially because I can really start nerding out on complex things like dynamic pricing and uh, macroeconomics things. We're going to keep this simple and very clear because they are the most important things. The foundation needs to be simple. And uh, that's kind of how I look at things. If I can't clearly express this to my children, I probably shouldn't be doing it. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about so many things, investing or entrepreneurship in general, where we generally start out thinking that we need some huge complex plan that nobody's doing and we need all these strategies and we need this, we need that. Like, yes, you know, there is strategy, there's, you know, a thought and, you know, the processes and policies, procedure, everything that goes into, you know, decision making and acting and executing or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier today, how, how so much of this is the same. You know, you're buying yeah. something at a certain price, yes. you're increasing the value, and you know that value. Um, it's not this guess, it's not an estimation, it's, it's a known value that's going to occur or that you can force to occur, and you make money. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the same process no matter what you're doing. And I think we, a lot of times, just coming full, full circle here, just get carried away with trying to get too technical. Absolutely. And it's not that it's bad, but I want everybody that's starting out to know, don't go too far down the rabbit hole. Focus on the most important things and make sure you don't make mistakes there and you can figure everything else out. And so when after my discussion today with him talking about uh, deal flow, 
there's a few things. And like Connor just mentioned, these things ring true in all aspects. So when people ask for your investing strategy and what model do you use, everything, well, I don't care what business we either buy or start or what piece of real estate we invest in. The principles are, I mean, they're really all the same. Execution may be different and everything, but you're talking about capital management. You're talking about increasing revenue and decreasing risk. That's it. I mean, really. So what I want to talk about, though, is in storage, the three things that really matter. So if you want to develop a piece of property, how do you know that that property will succeed? If you want to buy a storage facility, how do you know that that storage facility will be successful? So I want to point out the three things that we talk about. And I don't necessarily, I'll put them in order to most important to least important at the end, but that's not how I want to break it down. First, let's go into the revenue potential. Actually, no, I am going to do this in order because I don't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> Even though I may like to talk about the other things, I'm going to switch switch here and I'm going, I'm 180. I'm going to we're going to do this in order. Let's do it, right. man. So I don't go off on tangents, which I know all of Dude, you know you never I do love that. to do. You never do that. <laughs> You're just always right on track. That's right. <laughs> and so I, I, I better leave this structured for me as much as you guys. All right. We're going to start out with demand. Okay. The reason why this is so important is this is your first line item that is a no-go. So... There's a few things that we talk about that are make-its or break-its, and there's things that are just absolute no-goes. And the two most important no-goes for me is demand and location. So demand in, I'm going to do an overview of all three of them, and then we're going to dive in. So the first one's demand, okay? Just keep it simple. You're looking for the highest demand you can find, okay? Then we're going to look at revenue potential. You're looking at where you can get the most increase and the highest revenue potential you can find in a market. Then the third, you're looking at cost, whether that's the cost to build or acquire. All right, now let's walk in why we're limiting it for this discussion to these three three things, and this is what I want you all to focus on. So our goal here is to help you all obtain storage facilities, whether that's financing, however you're going to do it. We want you out there buying and operating these assets, creating wealth and income for yourself. So when you're looking out and you're sitting in Kentucky and you are looking across all the cities in a two-hour radius because you want it fairly close to home and you have 10 different markets, the first step is the demand. You're going to analyze the demand. Now, a lot of people, as we've noticed, and it has been a trend with our podcast, they want to know about smaller markets. Huge, huge topic for you guys. And it makes sense because that's where a lot of us start. If you can start in Manhattan, that's awesome. Then let's chat, please. Uh, (laughs) Give us a call real fast. Give us a call and come on the podcast. Uh, But for most people, including me, we start small and we have to grow. So 
when we look at demand and when we're looking at those 10 cities around you in Kentucky, the first thing you're looking at is the actual city or market itself. It needs to be growing both in population and income. It doesn't need to explode. It doesn't need to be growing rapidly, but it needs to be just doing something. It needs to be growing because if you're going to build in, a, in, in, in these 10 cities, they could be big cities, small cities, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to build, then you're adding on square footage to the market that doesn't currently exist. If the city is shrinking, that means you are going to have less demand and you're going to have decelerating value within that facility. And you really don't have a, a terribly good idea in that shrinking market if you'll be able to fill up. And it's just harder to understand how that'll look. Obviously, way more risk. You don't know if you're even going to be able to sell it for what you bought it for in five years. You may have to lower rents in three years. All of the things that are really, really bad. And if you're buying, you may be paying the highest price that it'll ever be. And if you're buying in small towns or building in small towns, it's that much more important. If you're buying in a town that has 10,000 people and you're adding on 30,000 square feet to the market, I don't know if it can handle it. It may not. Some small towns, one small facility, there's not even enough demand to fill that town in. You got to be really careful with this. So the smaller the city, the more risk that you have for um, not understanding the demand and getting it wrong. If you're in a growing city, there's this you're going to have a uh, real estate appreciation, income appreciation. You'll be able to raise rents. You'll be able to fill. You'll be able to market. So that's future demand, right? So there you that's we're talking about the future demand. So analyze the 10 cities. Let's say five of them are not growing and shrinking. Get rid of all of them. Okay. Now from there, demand you need to analyze on a local level because you need to know what the square footage on the market is. And then you also like the, the, people have a lot of rules and we've talked about this before. And I and I know people are like I swear you talk about demand every single podcast. And yeah, it's kind of true. Because I mean, that's the one thing that's either going to make you or break you. What is that it's, thing about like supply and demand? Like, yeah, exactly. It's a, this is yeah. so important. But two, it's also the questions that we get back the most. And that's where the most fear is. Well, and touching on that real quick, how do you identify, like obviously to figure out if there's growth you know, of a population or of a city or of a market. Obviously, you know, we can look at Census Bureau information. We can contact cities, counties, things like that, and gather that information to see, you know, a percentage of growth or a decrease in growth or whatever that might look like for that city or that county. But where can people find information on or how can they analyze or know what the square footage is in a given area? Now, this is hard, really hard. Because most small cities, if you're in small cities, so once again, we're left with these five that are growing. But I like tools like Radius Plus, which we've had Radius Plus on. You can go back and listen to that podcast. There's a few software analyzers that look at the square footage and try to help you understand demand in the market. But in a lot of smaller cities, you don't get all the data. So it's not a hundred percent. 
And in some cities, there's no data at all. So they, they can't even get the data. Um, so how you look at square footage on the market is you really need to understand where the facilities are. You need to look at them. And then you need, so this comes into the, like micro demand. You need to actually contact the facilities. You need to figure out how full they are. You need to ask things like, when did you give your last rate increase? And you need to figure out how many units they have. It's, you got to do it manually, right? You got to really, and you, I don't care, even if you, I'm in big cities and I'm using a great tool like Radius Plus or one of the others that I still will do it manually. Because oh, of course. there's stuff that they're, it's not going to encompass or they're going to miss or even it's wrong. It's classified wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then two, this is a really important piece that so many people uh, forget. And I want to talk about this. Not all square footage is the same. I had a call with a gentleman where we were analyzing this and we were looking at the facilities and I, you know, where they have no climate controlled in the market. Well, if you put climate controlled in the market, demand is obviously in this market. It was a big market. It was growing. There's going to be in their two mile radius demand for that product. It's not even being offered. That's a different type of demand. Right. So the square footage, you may have 10 square feet or 12 square feet on on the market, but you have zero in certain types. And so I look for those holes and that's where you try to pair it up. So this is an art and a science, but this is where a huge amount of your work goes. So after the big side, okay, so the the macro side, right, you're looking at growth, you're looking at population, um, you're making sure it's sustainable and that you'll be able to sell it, right? Then you look at the micro level for demand, which you compare square footage to occupancy and type. And then you want to verify that with the operators. And lots of the smaller operators love to brag, I've been 100% full forever. Um, And you want to look at those things. If everybody has vacancy and anybody can get you a unit, you got problems. So the next thing we want to talk about is revenue potential. Obviously, you're looking for the highest demand and the highest revenue potential. The revenue potential is a thing that a lot of people say, I don't know. How do I know what the rev- revenue potential is? Okay, we, I, I, I built this out in the book, and this is a really important part because this comes down into underwriting, which we're not going to get terribly deep in the weeds. But how you look at revenue potential is we're looking for the money on the table. So take the highest rates in town. And that gives you kind of an idea of today what people are paying. Now, in some small towns, though, the highest rates in town, they've been they've been 100% occupied forever. And so no one actually knows what the true demand is, because they've never raised rates, and they've never pushed that, right? So, you know, there's, okay, there's probably like, I'm turning people away. Okay, well, then there's obviously more demand here and you good market. Yeah, that revenue you can build up. Another thing you look at is the revenue drivers rising income, which we talked about in demand. And uh, um, we're looking at the ability to add in lines of revenue. Okay, so do you sell boxes, things like that, right? So you want to see where you can push the rates what you can add, what you can do in those markets if they're being offered and get a fill, right? Are they getting a dollar a square foot a month or $2 a square foot in the market? Then you got to look at the cost, okay? So the cost, and the reason this is the last thing, because the cost is only meaningful depending on the other two, right? So cost is relative. 
And so the cost in general, generally speaking, a rule of thumb, demand, you want the highest demand, you want the highest revenue potential and the lowest cost, right? That's, that's it. But when you're looking at the cost, whether it's to build or to buy, I judge the cost of a facility more on revenue potential than I do the facility itself. And I've talked about this a lot because of cap rates, right? And people say, well, it's a five cap. That's a bad deal in a small market. And I'm like, well, if a revenue potential is a 50% increase, that's not a bad deal. Exactly. You got to look at the whole picture. Exactly. You got to look at the whole picture. So when we analyze these markets and are looking at the cost, if I can get something at a seven or an eight cap, but there's nowhere for the revenue potential to go, I'm not going to buy it because I know that I can't do anything with it. And so there's there's danger in that, right? There's danger. You worry about that because I'm buying it at the top. So although they may not be asking the highest price tag, you're paying the highest price the market can offer you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you know I'm not going to be able to get more revenue. I'm not going to be able to build this up. And so I'm not going to get this in. It's already maxed out. It's maxed. You know, it's yeah, just like nothing you can do with it. It's like what everybody's seeing right now in with single family homes or whatever it might be. There's not a lot of opportunity in in really hot markets like Boise to go in and force value because it's it's already at that ceiling. Like yes, it's already so it's high. built into the price, and you want to avoid that. So when I look at the revenue potential and the cost, cost is derived of a few things. It's derived of the revenue and the return you can get on your money. But I also look at, and I break this down in, in the book too, because it's important. There's, there's things can be deceiving. So you can have an attractive cap rate, but the price, uh, the replacement cost may be telling a different story. So you may have something that is far below replacement cost, right? And it is still not a good buy, right? So you, I look at the cost, also the cost to replace it, the cost to build, because this tells me what competitors may do, and it gives me an idea whether it's worth it. And if somebody else comes in and builds, and they can build for a fraction of what I have to pay for, they have a advantage, obviously, on me. And in a time in an oversupplied market, that can hurt me. So I want to look not just at the cost in associated uh, in association with the revenue that it creates the revenue i can make it create but also the cost to add that product to the market and when you add in these three things this is where you start to get the idea so once again we're back at the five facilities you've eliminated the first or excuse me towns you've eliminated the first five towns because they're shrinking demand side. The next thing you go to is the revenue potential and you try to determine opportunity. And then you start and then from there that may limit you to three cities. Then you go to cost. And now you're looking at what you're willing to pay to get those assets and what the upside may be, right? Things that you just automatically need to close uh, to get rid of are things that you can't control, demand and location. So when I'm looking at any kind of lo- lo- um, cities, there will be a certain amount of facilities that I just take out. So what you're trying to do is just use a broad blanket approach to limit down and focus and target in on what you're trying to get, right? So people get overwhelmed. And my call today is overwhelmed. It's like, there's all these cities, there's all these facilities. I don't know who to call. I don't know who's a seller. And I'm like, don't worry about that. 
Don't worry about that. Worry about what you want. Find your target. Then you can worry about hitting the target. Exactly. Exactly. One of the, I'll share with you guys here, one of the strategies that I've used to to look at potential markets is, and, and two, it, it does really seem super overwhelming when you're looking at, I mean, you think of how many cities, how many counties, you know, are, are throughout the U.S. And, yeah. and again, we're talking very, you know, microeconomic where we could have like this huge city and just outside of that is, is a really good spot or whatever. Yes. It's, it's, it can be very difficult to find some of these sweet spots. But um, one of the, the processes that I run through is I'll just go on, um, you know, a county website or a census website or whatever, and I will find populations between a certain range, let's say anything above, you know, 100,000 people or 50,000 people, whatever you want it to be, and then go through and analyze and look at each one of those counties or each one of those cities and just step by step, you know, you're looking at, again, just all this stuff that we're talking about here. You're looking at demand. You're looking at revenue potential. You're looking at costs. You're looking at all these things. Um, and that's just one of the, the processes that I've used to to go through and start looking at some of these cities um, and evaluating them. Um, but obviously, there's all, all kinds of ways you can do it. But uh, it's one thing that I do. It's a good point because, too, you got to look at it what some people want a large facility. Other people want small facilities. And this will dictate, first of all, what your plans are and how you do it on that target. So before you even get into this stuff, you need to understand where, where you're at. Do you want a $5 million facility? Do you want a 100,000 square foot facility? Or do you want a 500,000 square uh, facility that is, you know, 15,000 square feet? And so understanding, too, where you're going with it will also depend on where you should start your overall marketing strategy. And it, it's about streamlining streamlining the process for you to find these assets so you can get to closing them and identifying them. This is really important when dealing with third parties like brokers. Um, the more clear you guys can be on identifying the wants and your needs for your business model – and what you're going to do, and expressing that with a broker, the better they're going to be able to bring deals that are going to fit your needs. Calling a broker up and asking, hey, do you have any self-storage facilities for sale? Um, that's that's not a good strategy because that's not telling them a whole lot. That's like saying, hey, do you have any houses for sale to a real estate agent? They're like, yeah. What are you looking for? <laughs> they're everywhere. They're literally <laughs> everywhere. Um, so... For everybody starting, simplify it, understand your target, then we'll worry about hitting it. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. Um, I want to, you know, with all these things, whether it's in the book or the podcast, it's about executing, right? So the better you guys can execute on acquisition, on build, on financing, on operating, the better you will perform. And I want you to break down the barriers of entry that are the lack of knowledge or the what you may feel like the unknowns or lack of ability to do it through a lot of these methods. Because you need to get going. You can't understand how to underwrite a deal if you have no deals to underwrite. It really is, you need to be learning, but you also need to be hands-on. So for those of you that are just starting, take those three things, go in a 
300 mile radius or whatever around you. And I don't care if you're ready to buy. It doesn't matter. Start looking, right? And if you have a great opportunity and you, you, you know what you're targeting and you found it, then everything else you can figure out, and, you know, we can work with it. So I hope that helps. This is a short one. I'm actually headed to sign some docs for new thing we're buying. So I, uh, I got to jump out of here. But, <laughs> a new thing. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. Try, I, I, I literally, I'm not kidding. I just try to think, what are we buying? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, which one is it? <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's awesome, um, man. But yeah. And uh, two, also today, big news. We hit the bestseller. So we were number one in real estate investing, real estate entrepreneurship, and we just hit the bestseller in capital knowledge. So that's incredible. I didn't know awesome. we were that in uh, all the categories. Yeah. So that's fantastic, dude. Yeah. Nice work. Nice work. You want to share with everybody real quick where they can grab that? Yeah, you can go to Amazon, pick it up. You can go to, if you go to self storage income, if you haven't listened to the other podcasts, um, I, I, I've been running the special. I had a bunch of people that called and they're like, Hey, I didn't get a chance to do it. So if you go to the website and you, um, order it and, uh, show us your order. And if you give us a great review, we then will, um, send you over the analyzer that we use. And this is, you know, I talk about this money on the table. It's just the model that we built. That's very simple for you to plug in those two things and it shows you the money on the table or the difference between what it's doing now and what the potential are. So yeah, Amazon or go to the website, selfstorageincome.com and check those things out. And guys, if this was helpful, if you're liking the podcast, give us a good review and uh five star well, you know, that, that means the world to us. So we appreciate it. Heck yeah. Thanks so much for listening guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks everybody.